0: Let's talk about, you know, saturation and pressures and when we're troubleshooting or we're doing any kind of refrigeration work, you know, there's always a lot of debate around, okay, well, you know, we should use saturation or no, well, a lot of guys still use pressure and you you really get into the weeds of the fact of, well, isn't, pressure saturation and saturation and pressure like aren't they kind of all the same and there's a lot of discussion there's a lot of thoughts revolving around it I would like to get my thoughts out there and just kind of where I stand on the subject ultimately you know kind of going back whenever I first got into the trade uh, honestly I didn't even know what saturation was you know my very first interactions with it we didn't even use temperature clamps we didn't check superheat we didn't look at subcool uh, I, as an apprentice I was strictly taught literally beer can cold And if you're not familiar with that, you're actually holding the suction line. And the way that they taught me, at least, was when the suction line feels like a beer can, it's done. You're charged. Everything's good in the system. And what's crazy about that is there's actually a breakover point when you're charging refrigerant. And usually it means you're overcharged, actually. You know, come to find out later. But when you're charging refrigerant, you'll feel the suction line and it will feel slightly warm to cool. And then all of a sudden that line will just you'll feel the flood happen basically it'll just go to all of a sudden it'll feel legit like you're holding a beer can in your hand you're charged your system's good if you walk up to a system and you don't feel that something's wrong a lot of the time you know some of the guys that i worked with yeah they they legitimately wouldn't even use the high side of their gauges hardly ever it was almost always walk up Throw the low side on, see what the pressure said. Oh, that's good. That's bad. Whatever. Uh, and then start adding refrigerant if they didn't fill the, fill the beer can. Uh, so anyway, an evolution of that. There's a lot of people that really start to memorize numbers, and what I mean by numbers is pressures specifically. They start to memorize pressures instead of actually start instead of actually learning the saturations and. There's two lines of thought here from what I understand at least in my perspective and I sit back look at it think about it one line of thought says that you know okay I'm working on a ton of 410A equipment and I know that roughly I should see between x and y on my pressures typically and when I start talking to other technicians and you really see this in guys who've been around a little bit longer or maybe who are newer into it and just have less experience I don't know you'll see that they they talk in in pressures a lot you don't hear a lot of conversation about temperatures and what I mean by temperatures I do mean saturation now this doesn't mean that these guys aren't actually taking temperature readings and actually trying to check things but. One of the first things they'll do is before they start checking their temperatures, like the superheat and subcool, so the pipe temps, before they actually start that process, they will just sit there and they'll see what their pressures are. And then they'll start to kind of get an idea of okay, well, my suction looks a little low here, my high side's a little low, or maybe I've got a little bit high pressure on the high side. My low side looks a little low on pressure compared to what I'm used to seeing. Maybe that's some kind of indicator that we've got whatever issue going on, high pressure restriction on the liquid line dryers, a common one I hear. Uh, there's, There's a handful of reasonings behind those pressures specifically. And then at some point they will start to dive deeper once they feel like they have a a kind of an entry level understanding as to what's happening based off of strictly the pressures me personally after i got into school and i began to you know actually study refrigeration process principles and all the proper things about it that's when i learned about using uh superheat subcool and actual saturations and I, i learned what those things were so obviously that's not what i do today if you've been following me for any length of time. So the the second line of thought goes to we're going to look at temperatures only, essentially. You know, instead of when you hook up gauges, instead of your eyes going to what the pressures are doing, instead you hone in more on what the temperatures are doing. And this is one good thing about, say, digital gauges. While digital gauges do give you uh, a Uh, a a saturation temperature, or or, or, I mean a pressure, your eyes get attracted to the saturation temperatures more naturally, in my experience, when you're dealing with digital gauges. So it's it's easier for somebody that's using that to, especially if they're training on that, and that's where they're getting their experience, to kind of think of it in that way. Whereas, you know, alternatively, obviously, analog would be would be the other choice. When you think of a system from a saturation perspective, you're looking at strictly what the temperatures are doing and that's gonna directly correlate to your superheat and subcool. But even, let's say you take a similar approach and you walk up and you've put your gauges on, you haven't even started checking temperatures yet and you're just strictly looking at what are my saturations up front. At the end of the day, you're doing the same basic thing so you know I challenge the thought what is in in today's refrigeration process and refrigerants and all the different options we have on the table what does pressure actually mean anymore my stance on this is pressure is nothing more than just relative to the refrigerant what I train is that you only need to know pressure to know saturation now obviously I'm kinda of cutting to the chase a little bit here idling to the uh, monitor saturation and monitor temperatures first not necessarily pressures but I don't think somebody that sh- that looks into pressures is necessarily wrong but I think there's a margin of error that you have to be careful with now in my last podcast there was a comment that made it that made mention of you know people that are strictly looking at pressures so aka people who use analog gauges over somebody that uses a digital gauge you know they were stating that somebody with analog gauges it gets more honed in on pressure over temperature or anything else which could be very true if you're dealing with somebody that doesn't uh, properly use a pt chart or hell today an app You know, just use your uh, uh, the Danfoss uh, ref tool, I think it is, where you can convert pressure to temperature. So it's really easy to do that, is my point today, you know, and sometimes maybe guys aren't doing that because usually an analog gauge will have at most three saturations built into the gauge. And most of the time, we're working with a lot more than just three refrigerants. And that's saying if they have a newer gauge, that it has more newer refrigerants. So the overall premise to that thought was that, okay, you know, because of the limitations of analog, that the analog people don't pay enough attention to saturation and trying to troubleshoot things via pressure is... A problem you know they, that leads to systems being overcharged and I think a lot of the guys who are under trained or don't just don't understand this industry well enough end up relying so heavily on the pressures that they're used to that they can't even they don't even start to recognize what those pressures are relating to in terms of temperature and that used to be a real thing honestly it it's not gone. It's not gone by today's standards in the trade. I think the trade has come a long way in that it's not as hung up on that type of thinking as it used to be. I think a lot more people, because of exposure of social media and otherwise, have gotten a lot more used to using uh, actual saturations and superheats and so forth anyway. But he is correct in the fact that, uh, yeah, a lot of systems, it's very easy to... Walk up to a system that's having, say, an airflow issue, for example, and your first impressions when you see that is it's a low charge because everything in the system, in terms of high side pressures and, and low side pressures, are relative to how much load is being added to the evaporator. At the core fundamentals of refrigeration, the less load you have on the evaporator, the lower the overall system readings are going to be, period. The more load you have, the higher your readings. From the high side to subcooling to superheat to evap saturation, go down the list. Everything is proportional to load. So if you have a uh, evap that has a low input heat, meaning it's got an airflow issue, you end up in a situation where it can look like a low charge. If you if you if you don't understand how to read saturations well enough to start to interpret what's happening, your your first instinct will go to low charge and Typically somebody like that isn't checking superheat because, well, one of the first indicators that would uh, contradict that is you would have a low superheat with your low pressures. And that would immediately tell you that it's not a charge issue. Anyway, that's a whole nother... So yes, that technician ends up making the decision that because of both high and low side being low, I'm just going to make a quick charge adjustment. Looks like we're just a little low. I've seen this, you know, a hundred thousand times customer trust me you know i am an experienced guy that's fine and then he dumps you know five ten whatever how much refrigerant he gets in there uh maybe gets the high side up a little bit right the low side barely budges uh, and then the high side might increase slightly because he's just dumping extra charge in that doesn't need to be there. And then he feels like he accomplished something. And, and then the callbacks happen, and that leads to somebody else getting called or a different technician, maybe same company, different tech, uh, goes out, looks at it again, and checks it properly this time, and then finds the overcharge. Dah, 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 dah. We got to fix that and then fix the airflow problem. Welcome to the news time. So you asked for it, we voted on it, everybody almost unanimously unanimously agreed that they wanted a uh, news time added or a news segment to the podcast. So here we go. Here's our very first news segment. Aon has apparently announced that they are committing to a uh, R454B refrigerant. That's going to be their product lineup that they're going to be launching with as their 410A replacement. Per their release, they're going to be saying that, you know, sometime in the third quarter of 2023, uh, a select group of their product line is going to start to see that roll out. And as they do, uh, we'll start to see that more and more in the field. So be looking for that. That's actually a podcast topic that I'm probably going to get into is some of the refrigerant standards and changes and the sear changes and how just we've got a lot of standards kind of shifting so uh, this that's, I've got it in mind to do some good research on that and try to help bring that as an educated topic to y'all. Item number two we had a uh, there's a rumor that started a while back about uh, JCI possibly beginning to implement some kind of um, locks on their software versions and we've seen some of this kind of stuff over time you know carrier has done something similar with their uh, newer uh, control modules that they're putting in and heck on some of these cases they're not even asking the customers for permission to come back and install these modules a lot of times they just show up and and just stick them in and then we find out after the fact you know when, when nobody's really paying attention how do I know this, or how do I get to make this claim? Well, this literally happened to us on one of our chiller installs, and where now we have to go through this special thing. They asked not a single person permission, they just showed up when the doors were open one day, put the stuff in. Regardless, York, in their newer microboards and the firmware for them, they have USB drives, and I've gotten some feedback from uh, guys out there in the field that those newer boards with the firmware they have started to lock technicians out of it so the original access codes that we used to be able to use to punch in and and we would have uh, we'd be able to get to the service settings and the software that is apparently gone for some of those machines and so unless you're a JCI employee and able to plug in with a thumb drive that is no longer an option on some of the newer stuff uh, I do just warn, being careful, if you have a machine that has maybe an older firmware, be cautious to upgrade, the, update that firmware because you could end up getting locked out of your machine and your ability to log into service mode. As I said, this was a rumor for some time, I've heard this in several different places over time, and now we're starting to get reports that this is a real thing, this is happening. So you have been warned. So number three, giving Navic a shout out for winning the Innovation Award at the AHR uh, Expo. So their battery powered flaring tool, which has been uh, a massive help for a lot of people out there. I see stuff all the time on uh, just social media in general, where people love this tool. I think it's a great Uh, reward for them to get. I just want to recognize that they uh, they've they've got a a pretty good thing there. It's not something that I necessarily use myself. Really good folks out there benefited from this thing so just giving them a shout out for that. Number four Dewalt is rolling out a impact connect system and so what this is is it's a attachment setup that's going to hook to your uh, Dewalt uh, impact drills so from what I saw their first two main items that they're releasing with this is going to be a uh, automated pipe cutter that you just, it attaches to it and it will cut it much like the, I think this is kind of a response to some of Milwaukee's tools they've had for a while where, you know, they had the uh, battery powered pipe cutter and then uh, the other one is a flaring tool. Now, Dewalt historically has had like a PEX flaring. Now, we don't necessarily use PEX on our end of the industry, but it is part of that tool package. Uh, And I know that Dewalt is looking to expand this as as time moves forward. These are just kind of their, uh, probably two most popular products that they expect to sell and kind of get the system launched and started. This is something we see a lot of the tool manufacturers switching to or modular drills and head setups and various things. So this is pretty exciting in my opinion, to see this type of product come out and just be less we have to carry on a regular basis and more tools into one I'm all about having a multi-tool type setup where things are condensed and consolidated into a more unified product. So I'm doing a lot of talking to get around the fact that uh, there's, there's these two main mindsets. And the reason I prescribe to looking at everything through a lens of saturation is ultimately the pressure, other than to be relevant to the, uh, to the um, refrigerant, means essentially nothing at the end of the day. And I train that way because in my opinion, you should have a much greater c- grasp of uh, the, the temperatures and what those mean from saturation to superheat and forget about the pressures because here's what I've seen happen is when young guys, especially uh, they start dealing with refrigerants they're not familiar with. So I, I saw this very heavily with 410A in the early days Heck, I struggled with this with 410A until I began to understand refrigeration better. And then, as things like 407C, for example, have become more uh, prevalent in the industry, I still see this today with some guys that they uh, they they get spooked by the by the refrigerant because they put too much stock into. Well, I know, okay, if I'm working on a 410A system, then. I know my pressure should be between X and Y. That's almost always how that conversation starts. And I, ha- I immediately stop the conversation, go, okay, at the end of the day, I don't care what your pressure is. What is your saturation? And the, what that leads to is if you can stop worrying about the actual pressure and understanding that, okay, well, uh, 40 to 45 degrees of saturation is between, you know, X and Y pressure of any refrigerant, instead of worrying about that specific refrigerant's pressure if you instead focus in on that refrigerant's temperature then it doesn't matter what the refrigerant is refrigeration principles apply across the board i have to be careful with blends you have glide so glide is when the boiling points between condensing and uh, evaporation are different depending on how the blends of the refrigerant are uh i I could i've done entire classes on glide before so you can go check those out if you wish uh but at the end of the day as long as you use glide properly uh the the principle of refrigeration is the same regardless it's not any different and that's where i think that understanding saturations and understanding temperature over trying to memorize pressures per each type of refrigerant is going to take you a lot further and maybe even help make refrigeration troubleshooting easier. I've seen several times where guys just get hung up on the pressures thing. They get very nervous because they're seeing a refrigerant that they don't, they're not familiar with how the the pressures interact and why the pressures are the way they are when ultimately it 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 doesn't matter what the pressures are i would like to hear a lot of thought on this i would like to engage in a conversation and and for you that You know, that yeah, maybe you do the pressure side of it and that's where you put a lot of focus and weight and stock, you know, I'd like to hear your feedback and thoughts, you know. Hearing me make my case about stop using pressure, focus on saturation, other than it being a change of mindset for you, why do you feel it is more efficient to still pay attention to pressures instead of just talking in saturation. Now for a lot of guys, I can absolutely recognize that at the end of the day, what are we actually arguing? Like what are we, maybe it's not even arguing, what are we discussing? Aren't we discussing literally the same things? We're talking saturation to pressure, but isn't saturation pressure and pressure saturation? Yes, yes. Yes is, yeah, it's exactly what we're discussing saturation is pressure, pressure is saturation. One of the things that has stood out to me is, as an industry, I don't think we have a deep enough understanding of the relationships between the different theories in this industry. And what I mean by that is, uh, take psychrometrics and refrigeration principles. How many guys would equate the two side by side and the fact that they're one in the same in a lot of ways. And I'll take that a step further. How many guys understand that refrigeration principles are built on top of psychrometrics? I'll take that a step further. How many guys understand that psychrometrics is the foundation that our entire industry is built on? You don't have air conditioning without psychrometrics. But yet, psychrometrics is probably one of the least understood principles in our entire industry. You know, I see a problem with that. I see that as a, as a major negative draw to what it is we're trying to do. That's one of the things that I would, I hope that this channel and this brand and everything about it, you know, this podcast will help some of you begin to rethink how you think about specific things in this industry and the psychrometric side of it is why i really push the importance of you know really learning the temperatures and not getting hung up on the the pressures or the rules of thumb or any of the other things that we have such a tendency to do because those temperatures live inside of that psychometric chart and heat you know there's two types of heat and there's 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 so much to what feeds into that if we're not careful with how we think about refrigeration theory we will we will always struggle with understanding the troubleshooting that we're doing and we'll always wonder why you know we sometimes have a hard time giving the customer a proper answer as this is your problem and this is all it is, and this is what you need to do to fix it. It's not always going to be that straightforward. And I think a lot of you have that problem because of the foundation laid. I've been through trade school. I know how they're taught to teach it, and I've been, I've read all those same books myself. And it's not I don't think it's a trade school problem. I don't think the trade schools are wrong in how they're teaching. But I think there's a higher level of understanding and thinking about this than most technicians take the time to read deep enough into, but at the same time, how many of you actually understand that there is a higher level to begin with? And that's, if you take anything from this, understand that. What you learned in school was basically step one of refrigeration principles and theory. And one of the things that didn't really happen, at least they, they don't in, in my experience, what I've seen in all the trade schools I've worked with, they don't really marry psychometrics and refrigeration very much. And that's something that if you really want to become the highest end technician that you want to be, uh, you need to develop that. A lot of guys have probably developed that over the years naturally and they just didn't realize the correlation. Nobody put labels to what that correlation was and I'm here trying to create maybe a label that doesn't exist? I don't know, I don't don't know. Maybe not, maybe at minimum trying to bring awareness to something very specific and important. A big question that I do get from several people is how have I advanced the way that I have in the industry for as young as I am? And honestly, this is one major way. It was, I started with my foundations and you'll be surprised at how much more clarity you have as to how things in this industry work and function when you have an extremely solid foundation. Because so many trivial things just mean they're so much easier to understand and they, they, that's, that's how they become trivial. They truly become that trivial because your foundation is solid enough to where the basic principle of what it is is just that simple to you at the end of the day. Check out True Tech Tools if you guys haven't. It's HVAC time, uh, it's the promo code. That'll get you 8% off. I really appreciate all the guys that go out there and do that that does help support the channel and it it gives me the resources I need to just kind of keep this thing going and it's not a small task keeping something like this moving forward and functioning and just whatever, It's, it's a lot, it is a lot. If anybody is ever interested or if you're in a weird spot where you need some support or anything of that nature go to my website HVACtimeTX.com I do offer you know a tech support service, I offer consultations, I also offer personalized trainings. If you ever need any of that kind of stuff please go on there check it out let me know if whatever help you need I'll try my best to yeah get to you and give you a hand. A lot of it does get done either like over my lunch breaks or just after hours as I get home in the evenings and so forth or you know, a phone call conversation on the drive home for whatever situation you got going on. So just know that that resource is there to you if you ever need it. With that, I appreciate y'all. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and MTT guys. We'll see you around.